Welcome back to the Team Talk with Tom and Jack. I'm Tom. And I'm Jack. And this is another special episode. We host this podcast to inspire coaches, teachers and parents so we can improve children's well-being together. In this episode, we welcome our guest, freelance news reporter Nick Qureshi, who we actually met through a Skype interview for Sky News a couple of weeks back. This time, we learn about his unique route into journalism, the impact of COVID-19 on live news broadcasting, and how the public consume news in these strange times. We hope you enjoy it, team. Welcome, Nick. Have you seen in any any comparisons between sport and your professional work and your professional life? It's a good determination, isn't it, to keep going, I think, if you get knocks. That's perhaps that, mm. you know, sport is full of winners and losers and the kind of job we do is uh, quite competitive. Let's, uh, let's put it like that. I think there are certain comparisons be at the, <laughs> at the top of your game, really. So that's it. You know, you get good days and bad days and you can take the sporting prowess is uh, you need to keep going. You have to find that resilience perhaps to carry on and uh, and get through things you know life often has its challenges doesn't it so you know just try and stay focused and get through things that's what sometimes i look at no definitely and on that note what was your route into journalism from that sort of early age education perspective and then into journalism how did that look for you well that's an interesting one as a child i remember used to coming down to breakfast and my dad had the like the news on or something I, I don't I can't work out because you never have breakfast tv in the morning so I don't know how I sort of I think he had the radio on and I was thinking to later in the day but it I actually thought hmm that news reading stuff I think I'd like to do that I'd like to have a go at that and that was as a child but it, when I was growing up there was not there weren't many courses I was serious that that's what I wanted to do but I could never get onto anything so in the intervening time I sort of went to school did a levels went to university but didn't actually follow that through because of certain uh, family reasons but I was actually training to be an accountant that was I think it was family circumstances and after things happened I was training to do that on a course which is a flexor study it was as we called it then you basically go in when you want it was something I enjoyed and I've always liked figures and doing that but ultimately that's something I was interested in but my sort of dream was to get into journalism or, or do this kind of job. And it just so happened that a long time ago, this is quite an unusual route, really, but it's one that I'll never forget. It's, um, well, it's more than 20 years ago. I, um, my friend down the road, his mum used to be a, a childminder and local radio station on a Friday morning, they had somebody from the station who went to deliver flowers to a worthwhile cause. So I told my friend... Somebody nominated my friend's mum. So this woman was coming around on a Friday. I said, right, I'm coming around. Because I, you know, knowing that I was interested in getting to this, I want to uh, have a look and see what's happened. So I said, right, I'm coming around. So I did. And um, this is uh, good old days. I, the uh, the lady who delivered the flowers, who's actually now um, still a good friend of mine, she said, oh, can I have a tape of what's gone on? I thought, a tape? You know, you had tapes and cassettes in those days. And, and I said, oh, maybe, but that's up to him. I, I said, you can have a tape if you can take my application in. I said, yeah, I'll give you a tape if you can have my application form. She said, what, what are you interested in doing? I said, news. And um, I said, I've not really, I've not been trained in it. I'm studying to do an accountancy course, which would be great, but this is my dream. So she said, well, basically have a word with our managing director. He said, we might be looking for somebody. I mean, this is a local, very, very local radio station 
in the 90s and they had one person doing local news. So I went to see him the following week. He said, what are you interested in doing? I said, and this was the height of, you know, the Bosnian war and, and stuff like that. And I said, at the, at the moment, I'm not interested massively because I've not got the confidence, not got the, the skills, not got any experience to go war reporting. I can't do that, but I want to do, I feel that in about, in a few years time, what my dream would be to do, going back to what had happened as a child is I want to be able to maybe read the news or go out reporting on regional TV. He said to me, that's that's a good ambition. I, he said, I, I can see you uh, doing that by the time you're 30. And, and I was 23 at the time. But he said, all right, we'll take you on. And uh, the following week I started, there was somebody still there, so they were able to train me. And it was long hours, it went on from there. I didn't even know what salary I'd be on, it was quite low. But because it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes down the road from my mum's, got a car out of it. And that was my that was my first job. So I was able to start doing that and learn. And the uh, managing director of this radio station who gave me uh, the job or my break, still in touch now. And I'll, you know, never forget that. I mean, it's an unusual way. And you'd never do that now, I don't think. And I've sort of just, so I've been on courses, trained and stuff over the years and learned from some of the best. So that was... Uh, I'll soon give my age away, but I'm not going to. But that was 1993. And I've been doing that ever since, to one form or another. So I did that for a year, then moved on, then moved on. And, and, and that's how it started. And never looked back. So that's, what's that, 27 years now, so uh, almost. Brilliant. And so we met you through, I say obviously, like everyone watched it. Um, not everyone will have watched it, but we, um, we, you know, we met you, I think it was last week now, was it, Tom? Yep, last week, wasn't it? Was, yes, it was last um, week. Um, yeah, yeah, 10 days ago, wasn't it? 10, 11 days ago. Yeah, when we were doing that um, interview on Sky, which again, we were really grateful for Sky for having us in you for interviewing us. It was an amazing experience. But how about, how did working for Sky come about for you then? Working for Sky specifically? Um, it was something yeah. I did years ago. It was something I did years ago. I was there. I happened to be in regional TV. So after my first job, as I was saying in radio, then I moved on to another radio, then carried on more radio, then did a mixture and I got into television in 2000. Oh, incidentally, that was that was one thing I was going to say. That managing director, uh, you'll recall I was saying, oh, he said you'll be doing, you'll, you, I think you can, I can see you reading the news by the time you're 30. Well, I read my first TV news bulletin two weeks before my 30th birthday. This was at 23, he said that. So that was like very interesting. Sky specifically. So I was working uh, in regional TV and then I decided to go freelancing. And so what you did then, as much you would do now, is send your, we call it a showreel, send that out to people, plus a CV. And I was lucky enough to, to get some work, some overnight presenting work there a few years ago. Uh, well, that was that was in 2002 when I first started there. Uh, that was pretty much only temporary, sort of four or five shifts a month to cover. But then other people, I think, came back from maternity and that. So they then I moved uh, moved on back to more regional TV and then freelanced in TV and radio. I uh, wanted to get back into Sky and I've done some radio because Sky has a, a radio outlet as well that serves uh, commercial radio. And I was just asked if I could uh, get back and do some, some stuff. So I've been back there for two, three years now doing pretty much overnights and weekends. I mean, it's changed, of course, over the years and certainly it's changed a lot now in the past few weeks. But yeah, so that's how I got uh, to Sky. So I'm still freelancing. So it's still a mixture, still a mixture of radio, TV, and I'm starting doing some stuff for, for smart speakers as well, which I love my work because it's it's varied and you get to meet different people. Although at times, these current times of crisis, it's uh, you don't get to meet as many people as you would because uh, of various restrictions. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll probably, you know, touch on that point in, in due course. But I'm going to go back to something you said there about the training that you received mm. in order to become, uh, you know, better along the way and some maybe mm. some mentoring mm. and, and advice that you received. Is there anything that really stuck with you or you would, you know, pass on if anyone was to ask you about how can I get into it or how could I get better as a, as a, as a broadcaster? Never feel, I would say a couple of things, never feel that you know it all. Even now, sometimes you feel one or two people in the industry um, come in and they're, oh, I know this, I know that. Well, you don't. You know, I've done it 27 years and you're still learning. Learn off the best, learn, learn off anyone, you know, anyone who's got experience. I Even, even now, I take my hat off to uh, people that have worked in newspapers. I think that's the, the best uh, grounding for journalism you could... Uh, possibly have um, they're used to writing often lengthy articles doing research they know court process in and out and that's the kind of person I've learned from in the past and when I was starting there was a I'm from Northamptonshire originally there's a great guy that used to run the, what they call the Northants Press Agency that was a news agency so they used to as many agencies still do now they send stories out to to various outlets and he taught me a lot and you wouldn't know this but he I spoke to him uh, years ago and said look this, this is brilliant and it's a good grounding you know just have to follow advice from from certain people and, and learn what you can never stop learning um, the day you do that, you, you know, you might as well give up. There's always somebody better than you, always, always, always somebody out there that you can learn off. It's all an art, whatever field you work in, it's an art, because if you work in radio, it's quite easy to go in, do your work, sometimes rely on other people. But with TV, you very much rely on other people. So you have to be adaptable and uh, listen to what anyone's saying, obviously offering your opinions, but don't get big headed. Good advice. That's really good advice, I think. Flipping that question slightly, is there any advice mm. that you hear given to either journalists that have been in the business for a while or journalists starting out? Any advice that you think actually you might disagree with or you might think that isn't actually the best advice from my experience? There's this emphasis a lot of the time on getting degrees, which are very important, but, you know, the experience counts in the end. So that's perhaps a way, as I say, because of circumstances, I had to pull out of a couple of courses. You can disagree uh, to an extent, but I think everyone has different experiences. You just have to go with the flow. The avenues that people can get into the jobs these days are probably narrowing because they're so competitive. But no, you just have to go with, with your opinions. What you feel. Don't feel afraid to voice your opinions. Sometimes in, in the past, you've come up against some opposition from bosses. You, know, you think, oh, I've got a good story. Think, oh, that's not a good story. And they want to shout you down. But if you've got a good story, you want to pursue something. This is like the, the reporting side going out to got a good idea. Just sell it to somebody. I think they will, they will listen. Everyone has disagreements, don't they? But it's about being harmonious in the end and agreeing. It's like many aspects, many facets of, of life you can have disagreements but don't take it home with you you need to try and sort it out because if you do that things will fester and it's not that's not very nice for anyone is it yeah try and be nice perfect um what what do you think separates a good broadcaster from a great broadcaster listen take advice practice you know things don't come naturally people can read auto cues a lot of the time quite well but listen to your peers take advice if somebody says oh i think you could have done that better don't get all huffy about it just think maybe could i a lot of the time people are here to be constructive be warm 
it's all really well reading off a screen, reading off an auto cue if you can. The thing is, that's one thing. If that goes down, then you have to think, oh, what do I do? You then have to ad lib. You sometimes have scripts. You have to be able to improvise, be able to fill. There was, uh, I was reading that years ago in regional TV, there was a, a great guy and I was looking at him and somebody said, he's got the ability to just ad lib like that, to fill two, three, four minutes. You need to be able to do that. That was what makes a great broadcast. Don't stick to this. Don't stick to the script. Sort of know what you're talking about. You Sometimes you have a chance to read what's coming up and you you try and get on top of it but be able to fill I remember when I started in regional TV it was very strange I was working in, in Norwich and there were two studios next to each other and they had simultaneous uh, bulletins going out one to one part of the region one to another part and on the uh, rooftop of where we were my colleague doing one of the bulletins he'd interviewed somebody I couldn't interview him at the same time because that was going out live but then the following, they came to me. They, they tried to switch studios. So the, this guy on the roof was talking to me then. And he wasn't there. And I thought, oh, that's very strange. He should have been because all it took was one switch to be able to... But they had done it wrong or something. I thought, oh, no, I've got to fill. And then, so I tried to do it and try... And that was my first probably hairy thing. Although in the gallery, as we call it, people would have been there saying, oh, this is what you can fill. You can put this in instead. So there, there is help. But got through it, finished on time. That's important. You know, you, you can't just have silence for two minutes. And my colleague said, yeah, that's really good. Well done. But ultimately, you are at the face. That's what you are paid for. You are paid to, to fill that and not to look awkward. And guess where a couple of things go wrong or can go wrong. And you can try and have a laugh about it. I think that's it. You know, it might get you onto a bloopers program. But... <laughs> It, as so many things do, but, you know, just... If something goes wrong, uh, be honest. Just say, oh, you know, this is going wrong and just try and, you know, skirt your way around it. Don't, don't hide it because then you can show nerves. And so, yeah, just uh, just be upfront with with the viewer, really. Um, just a bit more on that. So, obviously, when you broadcast, you are the face. You are, you know, we, we see you forwarding on that information. But I don't think I've really appreciated this before at all, even before this conversation. There's a big team of people behind that, isn't there? And although you are the final product and what is on screen, it's a big sort of team effort. Can you just give us a bit of an insight as to sort of to how much of a degree it is a big team effort and the sort of different people that are involved in that end product? Yeah, as I was saying, it, it's amazing. Some people say, which do you prefer doing? Is it radio or TV? And I, to this day, because I've done radio since 1993, I've done TV properly and broadcasting since, since 2000s. I can never answer that question. Radio is immediate and often you do rely on other people for radio, but quite often you can go and do something yourself. If I'm thinking of Sky News Radio uh, stroke IRN as it was and still is, if you're doing a night shift, you're on your own. And that means you can go and go in, prepare the bulletins. You do pre-record one, you do one live, but you're on your own for sort of six, seven hours. That's what I mean. You can go and do that. You've got a desk there. You can operate it yourself. So that's fine. That's a that's a one-person operation. Obviously, during the day, it's more and you have to do planning and stuff. But with TV, yeah, you can't do that on your own. So I'm sitting there presenting, broadcasting, reporting. But normally presenting, you will have a team which is known as um, gallery. So the gallery will be there. You can have a few people. You can perhaps have usually two minimum. I'm thinking regional TV. So you tend to have a vision mixer, stroke director, sometimes a producer in there. So that's probably the minimum. But then in a main programme, you will have somebody doing sound, 
a producer, a director, a vision mixer, perhaps more people. A lot of the time now, the cameras are self-operating. You don't have a, a person behind the camera as in, in the studios as you used to, so they're operated from, from upstairs. But that could be a technical person as well, so that's, that's another, perhaps a fifth person. So there is quite a, a few people you're uh, reliant on. The things are changing, of course, in this week, this month, with social distancing. So you can get away with one fewer person, but but spread out more in, in this gallery. So I have, many people will know you have an earpiece, which is something in your ear, but it, it is or should be hidden, really, as you're broadcasting. That is your, your lifeline to know several things, what's coming up, um, your cue to the next story. Yes, you can, you've got an auto cue, you can read something, but you've got to know exactly when and when the pictures are changing. If you can't see, you need clear direction. The director is perhaps the most uh, important person because they're the, the, the focal point of everything. The producer will tell you if a story's often moved on what to do next in case of difficulty. So, and the other crucial thing that they're there for is timing. So I remember I interviewed you guys 10, 11 days ago and they said, oh, you've got about four minutes on. They'll tell you how many minutes you've got, four minutes. Sometimes goes over, sometimes goes under. But what you can't do is if you've got a break, coming up at the end of the quarter, say going sections like that, three breaks an hour. Um, so say about quarter past the hour, if you've got to hit a break on time, you need to really hit that. There, There is a bit of leeway. The, the trouble is the end of the hour, it's what we call a hard off air. So that means that you have to stick to that time. And if you're late, then you'll just get cut off because the um, transmission will, will, will take it. So that is what the uh, producer stroke, you used to have a PA or DA, the director's assistant, stroke production assistant, somebody specifically doing the timing. But in the days of cutbacks now, the producer stroke director will tend to to count you off air. You have to stick to that. If you don't, then you'll just get, just get cut off, which looks uh, rather messy, uh, as um, several people have seen before. So yeah, listen to them. They're all very experienced. But some aren't so much. I mean, some of the newer producers, perhaps, you know, you feel you've got more experience in them because you've been around years. But as again, you know, encourage them tell them you know it's, it's all it's all teamwork I don't like to think of people not working together they've got an idea they say oh should we do this and sometimes you feel oh no should we do this but, but you know don't bark orders at people just be a bit more restrained and but listen but also discuss you know if you feel something's wrong there are ways of uh, talking about it and maybe maybe changing yeah, it yeah that's a, that's a good point everyone's very subjective Mm. We've got. Um, we, we were in the studio with uh, Ranveer Singh the other day over at ITV. I know with you, we were you know sort of skyping from home, and yeah, we, we yeah. were blown away by the amount of information that she had to have through her ear on paper, what camera to look at. Like it's just it's all go yes. all the time. It's you know we were looking at what she was doing, and we were kind of just like okay. <laughs> uh, it was amazing to you know it, it, to it watch. Is, it's, it's, sometimes it's a tricky, but people don't know, do they? It's a tricky balancing act because you you think oh it's all very calm, and a lot of the time it is. But if in the event of breaking news, I mean I went on air last weekend two o'clock, and with all that's going on now, the the the, the figures of of people who've been uh, sadly died from. Uh, uh, COVID-19 for instance they come out around two o'clock they come out in dribs and drabs so as soon as I went on air I think oh we've got some figures so you have to try and work out what this is try and look at look for them as somebody's telling you something in the air then somebody else is telling you timing somebody else is telling you which camera to look at and what to go to next and it's 
it's an art, but it, it's great because it's that's live TV, and that's uh, that's what I I like. It, you must sort of it must be your adrenaline must uh, keep going, but it's that's what we're used to, and that's what. I would miss, I think, if I didn't do it. Yeah, I think for the pair of us, I know, you know, myself and Jack, we both felt pretty tired come the end of last week because we had so many of these sort of media <laughs> yeah. things going on. And, and you're mm. right, that mm. adrenaline does really give you a lot of energy. And come the start of this week, I was saying to Jack and, you know, everyone around here, I was just like, you know what, I feel really low energy. And it's so different to last week where I was just like, go, 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 go. So, how do you deal with that sort of change of pace or trying to maintain that level of well-being when things are so extreme at work and then, you know, trying to sleep? And I know I was, just, I was struggling with my sleep, for example. Are there any things that you do, any routines? Yeah. Not massively. I work a lot of shift work and I'm probably not the best person to ask because when people have jobs, they're often, I can often end up doing two jobs a day. Um, and my, let's put it like this, my body clock is perhaps messed up quite a lot. Um, some people can be fine. I, I was thinking now if I was being an accountant, I would probably do not necessarily nine to five because I just do, nobody just does nine to five anymore. But it's something during the day and perhaps Monday to Friday, which a lot of people do or, or have been lucky enough to do until perhaps this um, current time. But a lot of my work is weekends and I can do one, two people know me. If the work's there, I'll do it, which isn't very good for, for burnout. But I don't actually live in London. So some of the time, it, it sounds bizarre, but I can drive for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours after a shift, which is not very good after a night shift. But that helps sort of calm you down. You think about what you've done. So by the time you got home, you, you sort of a bit more uh, relaxed. Other times, if I'm staying in London, for instance, with friends or, or whatever, it's easier to get back. But maybe a little glass of wine occasionally. But there's no there's no set set rule, really. I mean, I don't know how... If I had the answer to that... Often, if I'm on a night shift, you can come and sleep the next morning, but then you wake up after a few hours and it's... Oh, what am I going to do now for several hours? Maybe do something for a couple of hours, two, three hours... And if you can feel slightly more tired again, then uh, have another hour's sleep. Yeah, no, it's hard to relax. It, 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 it is sometimes very hard, especially with things going around in your mind a lot. I think I, sometimes I think I should take up yoga. That might help, mightn't it? Or just, just keep yourself healthy where, where you can really. Eat well. I mean, I'm, I, you say this, but I'm, you know, if, if you haven't got a lot of time to yourself, it's not perhaps can't really eat uh, brilliantly. I, I guess you guys are very good in your, your routines and what you eat and, uh, and staying healthy. So maybe, maybe we can all get tips from you. That's probably, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's difficult. I mean, there's no, there's no set answer. Just do what you can to relax your mind yeah. if, if you can, but it, you know, it's hard because then you obviously think about the next thing the next day. Big time. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. If we if we take into consideration the last few weeks, which obviously have been unprecedented, obviously they're very new for us, but being a lot of people turn to the news and the media for their source of their information. Mm. And has that impacted your stress levels, for example? Do you feel like you're working more? Do you feel like you're, you know, your work's taking a different shape? How has it impacted your day-to-day -day sort of your stuff? That's a very, very interesting question. As uh, as the saying goes, we're all in it together. And we, we are. Everyone is impacted to a certain extent. I didn't have much input in or much change into what was going on until recently. My nephew lives in Italy, for instance, and then my sister went out there he wasn't in the, the hardest hit region but of course the day she came back which was earlier in March the British government announced that anyone coming back from Italy had to go into self-isolation so she's had to do that pretty much for two weeks didn't help her that she was off 
the first week anyway but uh, so that is slightly impacted me meant I had to come to my family a bit more and, and help look after my mum because she she's ill but anyway I won't go into that but um so that was a, the, the the first way uh, it was impacting slightly I think everyone agrees it's just hit this country and we, we should have foreseen it coming I remember the end of December I was working for instance at the BBC World Service and we had, there was this thing from China they're always going to be big but certainly over the last few weeks it's just hit this country like a whirlwind and it's affected everyone every week we've had some kind of clampdown how it's affected me well I'm still healthy at the moment so I can still work and because of my job or wherever I work in my different jobs we're classed very luckily I think unfortunately uh, as key workers so we can still go to work and that's one of the a criterion um, for going out of the house to, to, to be able to work. So I, I'm lucky enough to be able to work. And some people might think, oh, you'll be very busy because you have to inform the public uh, as much as you can about what's going on. That's true to an extent. But what's happened now with a lot of media organisations, the ones I work for, they are cutting back, ideally, to have as few people in the office as possible. People are either ill or self-isolating try and work from there even in these organizations they're trying to work from home as much as possible but they want as much space in offices as they can so they're cutting back uh, on on shifts so the output pretty much people are getting output but you're tending in, in some places to combine programs uh, a little bit to, to reduce the headcount uh, in the office so because of that I am working but my work will probably go down uh, a little bit from from next week and then in subsequent weeks and then who knows because what will happen in the future because how long this is going to last is is very very open-ended you know I, some people can't work at all some people must be tearing their hair out I've had about two days now that I'm just at home but I will work you know I'll work tomorrow night I, I understand the difficulties and um, it must be very very hard for people that can't get out and uh, and my thoughts are with uh, the vulnerable, the elderly especially. You know, it must be such a, a difficult time for them. I've seen so many people cut off from families at, at important occasions. I mean, I've, there's, for instance, there's a, a funeral um, on Thursday that we were supposed to be going to, but the funeral is still going ahead at the moment because they haven't been banned, but it's for like two people can, can only go. So I do understand it. It's a very, very, very difficult time. But, you know, I think you just have to help each other out where you can. Uh, even, you know, I'll do my bit. I've got an elderly neighbour who I'll try and get some, some shopping in there. One of my mum's friends, she's in her 90s and her daughter and son-in-law, they're in their 70s. So they're sort of all affected. So they can't really, really go out. But, you know, try and help them as well. So it's all, all very strange. Yeah, no, it it really is. And I think a question on a lot of people's lips, I know we've we've had this in from a couple of of the team that we you know, we said, "Oh, we got we got Nick coming on tomorrow from Sky News. What were your questions for him?" And one of the questions mm. we had was how much news is a healthy amount to actually be listening to right now because obviously you can watch 24/7 on multiple platforms and your phone simultaneously but how much news is the right amount to be consuming right now well it's as much as you want isn't it really um i think that's the that's the the safe um simple answer you have to turn off one of my bosses the other week she's at work all week she was on call at the weekend and then the following weekend she said i've just switched off um, she tried to read some books, go in the garden, stuff like that, to get away from it all. 
And it's hard. I think if there is that thirst, there is that appetite, you want to know what's going on. So you do, do have to have to tune in. I mean, I, I'm guessing a lot of people will, will tune into the daily Downing Street briefings just to find out what or is not going on. You just have to consume as much as you feel is necessary. Maybe opt into that once a day. It, it's As I say, there is a an appetite. You have to turn off. It, it's difficult. It's easier said than done. And I mean, I work in the industry, so I haven't really yet turned off on the days that well, I won't have it on wall to wall, but I will turn in. But there is a the public, I think, needs to know certain things and they, they want to know certain things. That's why viewing figures and listening figures um, for a lot of the output has has increased and dramatically. It's all very well blaming the media as people were and, and have done for this, that and the other, which media is a very, very wide spectrum. Don't know what people mean by media, but, you know, you can't blame the media for government putting out their daily conferences and announcing what they do. And this is this is fact. And um, I think what you have to do as an industry is where we are. We can come on to this in a little while. It's just to be measured in, in how you report things, not be sensationalist at all. But if you can get away, it, I appreciate this is such difficult times at the moment because what do people do we're effectively in this lockdown so people are restrained into uh, going out for their daily exercise to the shops if it's essential so you you know there are more people sitting at home watching telly but perhaps put something else on or when you but try and stay sane we will get over this but unfortunately it's just open-ended at the moment and nobody knows how long but we've just got to try our best to get through it i've for instance I'm supposed to be in Barcelona now for a few days. I was going away in April. I don't do. I don't never go on many trips. Maybe once a year or something. But I seem to have booked three in the next three months, including one to Las Vegas in May, which is not going to happen. Seeing as all the hotels are shut till at least May. So, you know, it's not just me, but so many people have got plans that will have to change, which is highly unfortunate and very sad. But there will be a way out of this. And I think that everyone's thought process is, oh, but when? But we'll all have to deal with it. We're all in it. And unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. We'd have to, all of us, abide by the rules at the moment if we don't... uh, if we want to curb it and change it. Yeah, I think you've nailed it there. I think it is a massive group effort and that is, is absolutely what we're in. Just aside from, uh, if we move on from the last few weeks and we look at your sort of, just before we've, we've got some more generic questions coming up very shortly, but I just wanted to ask you, Nick, over the span of your career, is there anyone that you, who is the person you've interviewed or spoken to who you are most starstruck by? So you were like really quite taken aback by speaking to them and meeting them. No, I mean, I've interviewed a few people, I've interviewed a few politicians. I remember when I first started years ago, I interviewed uh, John Major, who was prime minister at the time. I had to go and he'd lost a by-election in uh, the West Midlands, I think, in the 90s. I was struck that he was actually quite a nice man. You know, everyone called him weak and it was the height of the Tory sleaze scandal. But I actually found him quite, quite pleasant. Tony Blair I interviewed. I haven't interviewed that many prime ministers. Uh, one or two stars I've interviewed. I went to interview Alicia Keys once. I found her very, uh, very charming. That was um, some time ago. But I don't get starstruck, to be honest. So I, I shall say that. I don't think I do. Is there anyone who you've interviewed and then sort of you, you kick yourself in hindsight because you were like, oh, I wish I'd asked them that question or done something different? I suppose you all, you think that a lot with a lot of people. I suppose you have to do your research on them so you can you can ask them and then you can perhaps pander a little bit and then go in softly and then ask what needs to be asked, especially with politicians. You know, I think, yeah, sometimes you think, oh, I should have nailed that a bit more rather than let them get away with, with what they want to say, you think, yeah, afterwards think, oh, why didn't I ask that? But, you know, it's a learning, it's a learning curve. 
So yeah, as I say, as I went back to my original point, everyone everyone learns, and then uh, you think, ah. Oh. But then you know, looking at some excellent broadcasters, you then you're looking at them, and, and obviously you've got time to do that now if you're at home. You think, for for my point of view, you think, hmm, yes, that's that's I'd like to be a bit more challenging at, at times. They they say what they want to say, but it's your job, especially at a time like this, to. Uh, to, to push them yeah I saw um, I saw that interview you did a few months ago I think it was in 2019 with John McDonnell mm. that mm. was um, I think that was you know a really good balance there in terms of posing questions and trying to get around to the right answers there so that was a, that was definitely a good yeah that, 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 that was what that was that was one I was thinking of actually one of them thinking yes actually I could have just quoted the, that figure to him because um, 18% I didn't actually bring that out but you know he was he was obviously on the back foot a bit and uh I should have quoted 18%, you know, popularity, that's no good, which in hindsight, that's what I should have just said. But, you know, as I say, you, you, you learn, yeah. you get, you get no, that was a re- them. It's a really interesting watch that. A question that we always ask mm. our guests is, is how you define success. I don't know if that's some way towards what it is that you, that you use to define success for you in your, in your life, in your career. Um, Success. Uh, how do I measure success? Well, I suppose getting getting plenty of work or, or work when you can, but but it's a balance. You can't work all the time. You do need to have some time off. Uh, success. Yeah, I've never been massively uh, money motivated. If you've got money, of course it helps. But success. Yeah, being happy and being being in work. But um, yeah, I I think having a people around you outside work, people that you can socialize with you can that will help you you switch off because it is i think most jobs have an element of uh, difficulty and challenge and really really hard work so success if people recognize you because i've been around for quite a few years now on the freelance scene a lot so if people know you are able to to give you work and able to rely on you say oh yeah he's put your name forward for something that's good success and also to be happy healthy i mean i don't think that comes down to being successful but certainly if you've got the package like that, just being nice to people, that's a, that's another element. But as I say, the money thing, of course, helps, but you know, not to the extent of being greedy. And I'd occasionally think, all oh, you could do if you want to give your services for free, you know, do that. Perfect. Cool. What change uh, of mind have you undergone in in recent years? Or if is someone who you've interviewed, have they changed your mind on any topic? Having interviewed them, you thought, oh, actually, I never saw it from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you, as a broadcaster, you have to be impartial. You have to go through as if, you know, you're, you're there to do a job. But sometimes you, you, you interview somebody who's, who's had a loss or who's facing some kind of hardship. And you just need to be a bit more humble sometimes and a bit more understanding. Generally, you know, everyone has problems. I, I go back to what I was saying about uh, this guy, Jack, uh, who was uh, a bit of a mentor when... When I first started out, he said, Nick, if there's 20 houses in a street, there's 20 stories type thing. So everyone's got something to to say or, or an issue or, or something. So it's just being a bit more humble, humility here and there and, and, and listen to people. It's no good. You know, I, I come back to if I'm doing an interview, I think people are taught this on, on courses. You know, if you're interviewing somebody, somebody said, listen to what they're saying. Don't don't have your list here of questions thinking Oh, I'm going to ask that. that. This is very interesting. I mean, certainly have a couple of bullet points if you need to, but remember to listen because something will, uh, somebody will say something that's off the, off the sheet, off the um, what you're not necessarily expecting to hear. And then if you haven't listened to that, you'll be here asking your next question and they might want to pursue something, but from the last thing they've said. So yeah, that's it really. A little bit of, uh, yeah, 
just be understanding, a little more understanding, maybe. That's it. Nice, nice, nice answer there. I know we spoke earlier about dealing with stress and being on camera and varying time schedules. Is there is there any morning routine that you have? I know that driving home after work is a good way for you to sort of de-stress, but is there any morning routine that you put in place? Uh, I know you were talking about potentially getting into maybe yoga soon to try and you know mm. zone out a little bit further, but is there anything that works for you at the moment? Well, occasionally, and I haven't done it for a long time and certainly can't do it now, it's probably it's as simple as going to the gym or something like that even after a night shift it, it can sort of relax you I suppose it's supposed to get the adrenaline going isn't it but then you can sort of sleep a bit better but uh, I should really practice what I preach because I haven't been for for a few months so I don't know it's just all about clearing the mind a little bit I can I'm usually quite good and, and then that so doing something like that I guess can can make you uh, sleep a bit longer if you come back and get into bed half an hour after you've arrived back from a night shift or something you, you can sleep but then I find oh I'll wake up about two three hours later so clearing your is it's easier said than done though isn't it it's um i think we'll all agree you know nobody's got the solution to everything is i mean who can come some people are very lucky somebody can come back from a night shift i'm saying night shifts for in, uh, instance i mean last night i was here and had a sort of seven hour sleep which is loads for me but i'm saying a night shift it's hard to sleep after a night shift quite often but uh, uh, certainly if anyone's got any tips please let us all know i mean I, i'd be uh, i'd be only too too pleased to be able to sleep solidly for a seven eight hours after We'll end then on this big question that we tend to ask uh, our guests. If you had only one text and it was going to be sent to everybody in the world, what would it say and why? Oh, something like peace, love and take care of one another. I think it's underrated. You know, people are very, very um, hell bent on you know themselves and their their families, which is which is understandable. But at a time like this, we need to look out. You know, all this panic buying that you see you've witnessed because when the needy I've got a picture on my phone somebody sent it a few weeks ago that of an elderly woman she was stooping and she went to the supermarket shelves and there was nothing there and that, that was that that society which is absolutely appalling and there's no need for it you know buy what you need buy you know one load of toilet rolls for now and then you can get another one later something like this I think this kind of crisis that we're in these times that we're in is forcing people to be a little nicer and a bit more gentle so something along those lines sounds a bit corny doesn't it but i think uh, you know it's a good i think it's a really important message Yeah, no, big time. And I think you're right there, Nick. I feel like there will be, I mean, of course, there are some real horrendous stories coming out at the moment, and there will be some real trauma for a lot of people and a lot of families. However, come the other side of this, we might hopefully as a society benefit from everyone feeling a bit more of a sense of togetherness. And it has provided opportunity with a chance to be kind and look after the vulnerable. And maybe it was it will be a, a good reminder for everyone and, and set up some good habits that we can continue afterwards. Fingers crossed anyway. The other one I was thinking is bring me something to cut my hair because obviously you can't get a haircut now, can you? So my hair's just going to go all out of, uh, going yeah. to be a bit, look a bit weird in the next week. But no, we, we, we need to be nice to each other, don't we really? Big time. Wow. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Nick. That was a brilliant You're conversation. Very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's gone. It's gone better than I expected. I thought this will last about five minutes, but uh, we've done all right. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that was a really good conversation there, and um, thank you for coming on. Um, we will leave links to your uh, social medias, of course, and things like LinkedIn in the show notes below, won't we, Tom? We certainly will. And I'll tell you what, it's a bit of a something different because I think we're going to try and turn this podcast around quite quickly. Nick, have you got anything that you would like to ask the audience? That they can you know sort of 
do something in the comments below or get in contact with you. So we do this now. I'd like to ask, what do they think of news? Because I'm interested. It's all very well people having feedback on what we do, but I'm interested in knowing what the audience think about news and what they see on the television. Do they trust what they're being told generally? Do they get too much? Are they getting too much information or too much uh, coronavirus? Do they want to see other things besides... Or the media, let's say the TV and radio, mainly getting it right. It's hard, you can't avoid it, but I just want to know how people feel about what they're seeing on, on TV and radio, whether they're informed, whether it's important, and whether they feel, we feel we need to be trusted and have to be impartial and also accurate. Um, and are they are they getting that? What are they getting from their, their news organisations? Great question. Yeah. All right. Well, that I think wraps it up. Um, hopefully, we can have a round two at some point. Maybe see you again in person. Yes. Um, but un- yes, that'll be nice. Yeah. Until then, we hope you uh, have a great, you know, rest of your time off and away, and then back to work soon. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you. Very welcome. This concludes another special episode of the Team Talk. Nick, thank you so much for talking to us on one of your precious days off. And in order to answer Nick's question, please head to Twitter at Nick Tack, spell N I C K. T-A-Q. We've put links to everything that we mentioned in the show notes. Take care, team. Bye.